Goldman Sachs Explores Investment Advisor Sale in Retreat from Mass Market by Joshua Franklin in New York. Goldman Sachs is exploring a sale of the investment advisory business it acquired four years ago, marking a further retreat from efforts to be a major bank to mass market customers. The Wall Street firm said on Monday, it was evaluating alternatives for its personal financial management business, which encompasses Goldman's registered investment advisor operations and supervises about $29 billion in assets. The business grew out of United Capital, a California-based investment advisor that Goldman acquired for $750 million in 2019. The deal came as Goldman was pushing to serve a broader array of customers. It is now the second deal executed under Chief Executive David Solomon that Goldman is looking to undo. The bank this year put up for sale Green Sky, the online lending business that it acquired in 2021. We expect to find an outcome that benefits both our clients and our advisors, the bank said of the personal financial management business, whose potential sale was reported last week by CityWire Rear. Goldman's wealth management operation has historically been weighted more towards the super-rich, so-called ultra-high net worth clients, whose wealth is at least in the tens of millions of dollars. United Capital's customers typically had more modest fortunes. The deal four years ago was a sign of Goldman's efforts to serve a broader array of customers. Losses from the push into mass market banking have contributed to pressures on Solomon, who is contending with the most challenging period of his nearly five-year tenure as chief. Aside from plans to sell Green Sky, Goldman last year decided to pair back its marker's online retail banking business. Solomon has so far retained the backing of the Wall Street Bank's directors and some of its top shareholders, but is facing an internal backlash over his blunt leadership style, as well as a string of critical news stories. Goldman is still prioritizing growth in asset and wealth management, businesses that are more predictable and stable than its core investment banking and trading activities. In wealth management, Goldman has more than $1 trillion in assets under supervision including from its private wealth business and its ICO workplace money management platform. United Capital had about $25 billion in assets under management when Goldman bought it. This pivot to wealth and wealth management has worked well for longtime rival Morgan Stanley under Chief Executive James Gorman, catapulting its market capitalization above Goldman's. Morgan Stanley's success in wealth management has been aided by the acquisition of online trading platform E-Trade in 2020 and many of the bank's core clients are high net worth customers, rather than the super-rich that Goldman is targeting. Registered investment advisors are licensed to provide advice and sometimes directly manage money. The bank said it would continue to invest in its services to cover advisors as customers. Goldman is exploring a sale at a time of heightened job hopping by registered investment advisors this year in response to mergers and turmoil in the banking sector. Many are leaving advisory groups owned by banks for boutique operations or starting their own firms and taking their clients with them. Goldman last year merged its wealth management and asset management businesses with the combined unit now run by Mark Nackman, a close confidant of Solomon. Goldman's stock was down around 1.3% by lunchtime trading in New York. China growth hopes fade after modest rate cut. By Hudson Lockett and Andy Lin in Hong Kong and Thomas Hale in Shanghai. China has cut a benchmark lending rate, but defied market expectations for broader loosening, as policymakers sought to protect bank profits while grappling with a slowing economy 
a weakening currency, and a property cash crunch. The muted action prompted economists at Citigroup to downgrade their annual growth forecast to 4.7%, part of a growing sense that China's full-year economic growth will fail to hit Beijing's official target of about 5%. The one-year loan prime rate, a reference for bank lending, was cut 0.10 percentage points to 3.45%, the People's Bank of China announced on Monday. The equivalent five-year rate, which is closely watched because of its relationship to mortgage lending, was kept steady at 4.2%. Economists polled by Bloomberg had unanimously projected 0.15 percentage point cuts to both the one-year and five-year rates. The outcome was quite surprising and frankly it's a bit puzzling, said Hui Shan, chief China economist at Goldman Sachs. Five international investment banks, including Morgan Stanley and JP Morgan, have lowered their China growth forecasts in recent weeks in response to signs of slowing economic momentum in China. Despite Beijing lifting pandemic restrictions this year, growth has been hampered by a shaky property sector, declining exports and soaring youth unemployment. Last week the government announced it would stop publishing reports about the unemployment figures. On Wall Street, only Bank of America and Goldman Sachs project growth of more than 5% for 2023. The increasingly pessimistic outlook on China's economy reflects a widening gap between expectations of more forceful policy support and the government's reluctance to deliver stimulus at a scale needed to reinvigorate growth. City analysts in a note attributed their forecast downgrade to policy disappointment. Beijing has come under pressure to reduce interest rates and spur consumer demand. The BOC last week unexpectedly cut the one-year medium-term lending facility, which affects loans to financial institutions, by 0.15 percentage points. But Monday's policy decision showed Beijing remained intent on insulating bank earnings, analysts said. The one-year LPR is partly set by China's biggest banks, which are set to release second-quarter results this month. This looks like policymakers are putting a lot of weight on the banking system's ability to run smoothly. They may want to protect banks' net interest margins, which cutting the LPR can pull down, said Shan at Goldman Sachs. At the end of the day, you need a healthy banking system to help absorb economic shocks and continue to deleverage the property sector, which has been paralyzed for two years by a liquidity crisis. Monday's decision also weighed on Chinese equities, with the Hang Seng China Enterprises Index dropping almost 2% despite a host of reforms announced on Friday intended to bolster investor confidence. The benchmark CSI 300 index of Shanghai and Shenzhen listed stocks fell 1.4%, while the renminbi fell as much as 0.4% to AMB 7.3155 against the dollar. Julian Evans Pritchard, chief China economist at Capital Economics, suggested the underwhelming response meant the BOC was unlikely to embrace the much larger rate cuts that would be required to revive credit demand. Hopes for a stimulus-led turnaround in economic activity largely depend on the prospect of greater fiscal support, he added. Goldman remains the most optimistic among big Wall Street investment banks on China's 2023 growth prospects, holding its forecast at 5.4%. But Shan acknowledged that the bank may have to reconsider if Beijing's policy response continues to underwhelm. Our current assumption is that, policymakers, will ease real estate restrictions in first-tier cities and put more measures in place to support the property market in the coming weeks," she said. But if that fails to materialize we will have to rethink things.
There's a phrase associated with NASA, failure is not an option. But there's another one in innovation that is fail fast and fail often. It's a world of both. Oh. Iris is the first American robot on the moon. It is the first universe built. He's the first student led. The first for proving the capability of small rovers. Oh. This is like teaching a baby to walk, and before it gets to that million critical steps on another planet, there'll be tens of millions here on Earth. My name is Red Whitaker. I'm a professor of robotics. This is my 50th year at Carnegie Mellon. I created the Iris idea, and from that produced the very first course that engaged and enrolled students have fostered it to and through where we are right now. Happy death. Ah, uh, looks like we're taking the rough map because we're at Smith's plant safe. So we recommend that backward 15. Right. Rusty submissions, we move backwards 15 some years, five some years. Iris is a shoebox on wheels. It is going to the moon to prove that small is capable. Iris is two kilograms, has very bottle cap wheel design made out of carbon fiber. Very, very small compared to typical SUV sized rovers. The technology that has built Iris over the years has really stemmed from various projects that date back to the 80s when Red really became interested in space robotics and lunar robotics. I'd formulated this notion of developing thinking machines at work in the world and worlds beyond. Never changed one word of it and never ran out of anything great to do. The one that's left on the checklist is robots to worlds beyond. It takes a few wealthy individuals who are willing to invest their own time and money and who are excited about space who start this social movement. It's generating the imagination. It's really bringing the excitement back into space. It's opening doors and opportunities that really weren't here before. One of the biggest things about this project is that it's not a government entity. Because it's a student project, Reaching out to the community is such a huge part of this venture. And so having the students do a crowdfunding campaign, learning how that process works, it's something that is a really unique opportunity to bring everybody in and show that anybody can make it to the moon. It can be a group of students with a dream and that one unified vision, these students can do it. My grand dream for the mission is that Iris will drive one meter once it gets to the moon. Talus's fight on ops, do you copy? Copy. Sister's fight, do you copy? Copy and check. Proceed to navigate forts, NSS. Copy. Far side of the planet. Iris requests permission quite from the latter. The mission's success comes from the rover deploying driving, taking a picture, and sending a picture back to Earth. Even if things go wrong after that, it can do the basics and it shows that 
In future iterations, it's possible. So many thousands of things have to be right to get that far. And of course, anything that goes wrong can be a fatal glitch. Every rover mission has two landings. There's one where the lander makes it to the moon. And the second, more important one, is where the rover gets to the surface. All the other rovers have had big ramps they could roll down, or mechanisms that would place them on the surface, or for Mars, a long cable that lowers them right to the surface. This is the very first that will drop deploy. When it's in the moon, it's released and it floats to the surface. Our hope is that it lands on level, easy terrain. Other challenges are the customary ones from space, vacuum, heat, cold, radiation, file and shaking. Success is never forgotten, and anything beyond a little bit of driving on the moon is all bonus. We are a payload on Astrobotics Peregrine Lander, which is then a payload on the ULA Vulcan rocket, the main rocket that will take it to orbit and eventually the moon. Physically, Iris is complete. Every mechanical thing, every electronic thing, every little iota of the physical parts are done. Iris is on board the lander. Iris is ready to go to the moon. And what remains is to refine our procedures, our training, our team that will be operating the robot right here from this room when it's on the moon. Any rover is risky business when it's lean development without the big money, without the long duration, without the aerospace infrastructure, without the deep, deep experience that's even riskier. And something wonderful about working with students is that their threshold for risk is consistent with what had to be to make Iris a reality. Over 300 students, almost 400 students, have participated in this since 2017. The fact that it's students volunteering their time or taking a class that they get to have that impact is just, it's extraordinary. These students are going to be going out and being the next generation in the space industry and bringing this experience to the next rover or to the next rocket, to the next world that we go to. They are the ones that have brought the creativity, the courage to drive, the indefatigable work, and the pursuit of excellence has made it possible.